This morning we're going to break from our James study and really just begin to prepare our hearts for this upcoming week, this week that we call Holy Week, an opportunity for us to reflect on the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb of God. In order to really understand what's happening in the week of Holy Week, you have to begin with, with what happens on Palm Sunday, on this day. Palm Sunday is the time where we oftentimes refer to as, as the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem, setting into motion a week that would radically change the history of the world. In order to fully understand what's happening in John chapter 12, you've you, you got to kind of understand John 12 in its context and understand the people who were, who were there that day, what they were seeing, what they were experiencing, what, they were, what, were they, what were they considering and thinking of. The Jews living in the time of Jesus, they, they really they, they had their minds made up on what the, the coming king, what the coming Messiah would look like. They expected him to come riding into Jerusalem on a, on a beautiful white horse, leading the armies of Israel and overwhelming the evil empire of Rome. They were waiting for this coming king, this Messiah, this warrior to, to free them from, from the situation they found themselves in. When Jesus appears on the scene, some of the people who were there, they really do begin to wonder if he, if he actually is the promised Messiah. They, actually, they anxiously waited for him to fulfill the promise of their long-expected victorious king. So when Jesus shows up in Jerusalem, you, you have to think that in, in the minds of many of the people, they were longing for this man, but, but when they were longing, they had a very a very distinct picture of what they knew he would be. They just thought they knew exactly what he would look like and what he would accomplish. When Jesus begins to come into Jerusalem, stories have been abounding. They, they've heard many of the stories about Jesus and what he had, what he had done. And, and just in John's gospel, he had been very careful to, to, uh, to, to record seven miraculous signs that Jesus performed that ultimately were, were revealing his character, revealing his nature, helping the people to understand who it, is, it was exactly that Jesus is. Those seven signs that, that John painstakingly recorded were turning water into the wine, healing an official son, healing the sick, feeding the 5,000, walking on water, healing a man born blind, and, and the last raising Lazarus from the dead. People were hearing these stories. Many of the ones who just recently had, had witnessed and had seen Lazarus raised from the dead, they now are gathered together. They're heading into Jerusalem to, to celebrate Passover themselves. And, and as they're going towards the temple, they hear that Jesus is coming and they, and they begin to anxiously gather knowing there's something special about this man. And, and if he is the promised Messiah, then he's going to come into Jerusalem and conquer the evil empire. And yet when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, he doesn't do anything that they expect. Why? We have to understand 
that when we think about Christ and we think about his work, we think about and we reflect on what this week means for us as believers, we have to understand that Jesus is the Messiah and he has come as the victorious king, but, but not in the way that the world expects. So what is it that we see? In John chapter 12, John begins to really paint a beautiful picture for us, an understanding of who Jesus is. And I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and read along. We'll begin in John chapter 12, verse 12, as we think about how Jesus triumphantly enters into Jerusalem. John 12, begin reading in verse 12, says, The next day when the large crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took palm branches and went out to meet him. They kept shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on the donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. However, when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him, that they had done these things to him. Meanwhile, the crowd which had been with him when he had called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify. This is also why the crowd met him, because they heard he had done this sign. Then the Pharisees said to one another, You see, you've accomplished nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. You see, when Jesus triumphantly entered into Jerusalem, he came a little differently from what the people expected. He didn't come riding a war horse. He came riding a donkey. When Jesus entered into Jerusalem, he came riding a donkey and not a war horse. You say, why does that matter? Well, first off, do you notice here that everything that the crowd says is true about Jesus? In these first few verses, they are speaking what is biblically accurate. They're quoting scripture from Psalm 118. They're beginning to recognize Christ for who he truly is. They cry out, Hosanna, which literally means save now. They're crying out, Lord, save us. When political figures came to Jerusalem, they often would come displaying power and authority. Trumpets would blast. Armies would lead in marching the parade. And and leaders would ride oftentimes again in the city on that white horse in a golden chariot. Jesus? What did he do? He chose a donkey. He chose a donkey, a fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9. In fact, Zechariah 9 tells us a lot about about the king. Uh, Zechariah 9 tells us a lot about the kind of king that, that Jesus truly is. Zechariah was the one, the prophet, who was speaking forth of of what this Messiah would look like. And the the people had heard it, yet yet they forgot. Zechariah tells us that the choice of a donkey revealed the humility of this king. His salvation was robed in his meekness. He didn't come to destroy the nations, but rather, as the scripture tells us, he came proclaiming peace to all nations. Children of Israel... We're longing for a warrior king. And in rides Jesus on the colt of a donkey, the sign of his humility, 
not waging war against the nations, not waging war against the evil empire of Rome, but Jesus came riding in humbly on a donkey, offering salvation to all the nations. Do you know him? Have you seen him? Have you experienced him? Do you see him as our humble king? John continues to paint this picture. He begins, continues to lay out this truth of who Christ is. Not only did he, did he come riding the colt of a donkey, but we go and read, pick, pick, up, pick up in verse 20. It's now some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested of him, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip, Philip went and told Andrew, then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus replied to them, listen, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Jesus triumphantly enters into the city. Again, not how the people expected. Jesus triumphantly enters, heading to a cross, not an earthly throne. You see, much of the dismay of the Jews, Jesus' kingdom was not political. They wanted a political warrior. Typically, kings would enter into the city to the cheers of the people on their way to reign on a throne. Jesus, much like riding a donkey, Jesus entered into the city to the cheers of the people so that he could bypass an earthly throne and ultimately take his place on a cross and die. Blowing the minds of the people who were longing for this very Messiah. The Jews missed it. They completely missed the truth of what the Scriptures teach us. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 52 and 53, he spoke of the one who would bring salvation. He spoke of the one who, who was the suffering servant who would have to die for his people. John goes on here in this very chapter and quotes Isaiah. The people's minds and attentions had been turned there before. The Jews were waiting for a king who would save them from a tyrannical nation. The Jews were waiting for a warrior who would conquer an evil empire. But God, God promised a king who would bring salvation from the penalty of sin. Not what the people expected. Jesus, understand in this text and also all throughout Scripture, Jesus is indeed the king who took the punishment of sin and death so that we could experience life and a relationship with God. He passed on an earthly throne so that he could embrace an old rugged cross and three nails. He passed on what he was deserving of and he chose death. He chose death for you. He chose death for me. Jesus Christ passed on what he was deserving of and took upon himself 
penalty that you and I deserve. He chose death. And then he challenged us, in a sense, as his followers to to follow in his footsteps. You pick back up in verse 25. We see Christ passing on this earthly throne and heading to a cross. Ultimately, he challenges us as believers to do something very similar. Verse 25, the one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am there, my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. What does it look like? What does it really look like to hate this life, to hate our lives in this present world? One of my study Bibles put it this way. I thought it was just a great summary. We must be so committed to living for Christ that we hate our lives by comparison. In other words, we must hate this this world so much. We must hate our own flesh so much that we deny all self-centeredness and we turn and we look to Christ and Christ alone. There's a great reward There's a great, beautiful reward in our lives when we ignore and focus on Christ. You see it there in 25 and 26 that that if we will deny ourselves and take up our cross humbly following after Christ and give him our lives fully and wholeheartedly, if we will turn from our wickedness and turn towards him, the scriptures tell us here that we will be where he is and we will be honored by the Father. Just like Jesus, our goal in life should be to die to self. Just like Jesus, our goal in life should be to die to our self-centeredness. Just like Jesus, our goal in life should be to, to die from empty routines and an empty religion. Just like Jesus, our goal should be to die from all selfishness. Just like Jesus, we take up our cross We follow after Christ, and by doing that, by trusting in him, by surrendering our lives to him, at that moment, that's when we find life. Jesus bids us to come and follow him, follow his example, the example of humility like riding a donkey, the example of passing over what this world has to offer and and dying to self. There's a third picture here that we see in this passage as we were walking through this triumphal entry. Pick up in verse 27. Now my soul is troubled. This is Jesus speaking. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But that is why I came to this hour. Notice here Jesus is wrestling with with the gravity of what's approaching. On Palm Sunday, he sees what's happening on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. He knows what's happening next. He knows that Good Friday for him is not going to be all that good. He knows that he's heading to a cross. Yet he chooses it. He desires it. He's okay with going where the Father is leading him. You keep reading. Father, glorify your name. It's a beautiful passage. 
wrestling with what was approaching him and says, look, I don't want to be glorified. God, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said it was thunder. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus responded. Now listen, church, come in here real close. This voice came not for me, but for you. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate what kind of death he was about to die. Then the crowd replied to him, We've heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Jesus answered, The light will be with you only a little longer. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness doesn't overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become children of light. Jesus said this, then went away and hid from them. Jesus triumphantly enters into Jerusalem again, not in the way that the people expected. How? By glorifying the Father and not himself. Kings who would ride in Jerusalem in that day and time would want glory for themselves. They'd want the people to look at them and, and cast their eyes towards them. Yet Jesus, as he's riding in on the colt of a donkey with his eyes set past the throne, looking to the cross, now is saying, Lord, glorify yourself and not me. Notice, Jesus is the king that glorifies someone else. While on earth, Jesus spent his time and his life and his energy focused on glorifying the Father. In fact, in John chapter 8, earlier in this passage, earlier in this scripture, John 8 verse 50, Jesus said, I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and judges. When we think about how Jesus glorifies God, the scriptures here teach us that actually that Jesus most glorifies the Father on the cross. That it is actually in the sacrifice of the cross where Jesus most glorifies God the Father. It's, it's hard to fathom, hard to imagine. What do we mean by that? Well, there's really two ways. Two ways that Jesus glorifies the Father on the cross. The first one is this. God demonstrates his justice through the cross. God demonstrates his justice through the cross. You see, it's at the cross that God judged our sins by executing justice on Jesus. Somebody had to pay the price. The wages of sin is death. That doesn't change. Somebody has to pay that price. Yet it was through the cross of Christ that God's justice could be poured out. This is the good news of the gospel. If you trust in Jesus Christ, the cross of Christ ensures your forgiveness of sins. If you reject Christ, then the cross has already sealed your fate. Your rejection of God's perfect sacrifice means that you will have to bear the penalty for your sin. Nobody can get out of it. It's a reality. 
Somebody has to experience God's justice. Yet the good news of the gospel is that it was through the cross of Christ that God was glorified when his justice was poured out. The second way that the cross of Christ glorifies the Father, not only does God demonstrate his justice through the cross, but really kind of the same truth from the other side of the coin, Jesus reconciles sinners to God through the cross. You see, it's at the cross that God's love for sinners has actually been reconciled with his justice. How can a, how, how can, how can an, a righteous and almighty God who absolutely hates sin, how can that just and righteous God have a relationship with someone like you and me? I'm a sinner. How can God have a relationship with us if he's truly God, if he's truly just? By pouring out his justice on Christ, he flips the coin and brings about reconciliation for the sinner. You see, God, most glorified, God is most glorified in the cross of Christ because his justice was poured out upon Jesus. His wrath was poured out upon Christ. And by pouring out that wrath on Christ, if we will repent of our sins, turn to Christ, place our faith in him, then we can be reconciled to this just, mighty, loving, merciful God. Verse 32 tells us, when Jesus is lifted up, he draws people to himself. When Jesus is lifted up on the cross, experiencing the wrath of his Father, when Jesus is lifted up on a cross and his blood sheds for us, when Jesus is lifted up on the cross, he doesn't wreak havoc and war against the nations. Rather, what Jesus does is he draws men and women, boys and girls, to himself. So what are we seeing in this passage? When we think about, when we really think about what, what this story means, when we think about, when we think about Palm Sunday, what is it that we see? Hear me, Jesus is the Messiah who did come as the victorious king, but not in the way that the world expected. He came riding a donkey, not a war horse, uh, not a war horse a sign of his humility. He came heading to a cross, not an earthly throne, dying to himself. He came glorifying the Father, not himself. He was committed to honor God. So I have a question for you. Just a few questions for us to consider as we, as we begin to prepare our hearts moving into this holy week, as we continue to reflect on who Christ is and in our lives, just a, a few questions for us to consider now, but just let me encourage you to consider them throughout the remainder of this week. Here are the questions. How are you following the example of Jesus and humbly serving others? He came riding a donkey. He came humble. You go on to read here in John chapter three, in John chapter thirteen, right after John twelve. I mean, Jesus Christ, being the King of the universe, the King of all kings and Lord of lords, the one who was leading and guiding, the one who was the the master of his disciples. In John chapter thirteen, he gives us a beautiful picture where he, the master, bows his 
knee at the feet of his disciples and washes their feet. Serving, humbly serving those around them. How are you? How are you following the example of humble service? Are you taking up your cross? Are you dying to self? Are you following after Jesus each and every day? Are you repenting of your sins, turning back to the Father, asking Him to search you, show Him any sin in your life and repenting of it and turning to Christ? Are you demonstrating complete commitment to the glory of God as Jesus did? Are you committing yourself to to show full commitment to God and all that you think, all that you say, all that you... Are you committing your life wholeheartedly to Christ? If so, how does your life look different now than it did the day before? How does your life look different now than it did before you knew Christ? Do people around you see you glorifying the Father in all that you think, all that you say, and all that you do? And if not, if you're not committed to the glory of God, then why not? I'm going to ask Pastor Ricky if he would come and just begin to lead us in a time of commitment and dedication. What I'll ask for you to do is not to check out here. Again, this is an opportunity. This service is a little different. It's an opportunity for us just to, to again, pause for a moment to reflect on who Christ is and what he's done for us in our lives. I ask for you just to think about what we've seen in Christ, him riding a donkey, his sign of his humility, him heading to a cross and not to an earthly throne, dying to self, him glorifying the Father and not himself, being committed to honor God. Think about the example that Christ has set for us and see how we might follow in his footsteps. As the church of Christ, now I'll ask that we just spend some time we have pastors who are online who'd love to take your prayer requests, love to be able to pray with you if you have any decisions that need to be made. If you're here joining us right now and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, I might ask you just to hang on for a moment because there's more to this message right here that we'll see just briefly in just a moment. But at this time, let's reflect. Let's reflect on the glory of God. Let's reflect on the work of Christ. And let's prepare our hearts. Let's prepare our hearts for this holy week to draw near to God as he draws near to us. Let's sing.